Let's pray. So, Father, we come now to your word and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, will you use your word to edify your church and to glorify your name? So that we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove your good and acceptable and perfect will today. So, Father, sanctify us now in the truth of your word, because your word is truth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to a very familiar place for our church family, uh, Psalm chapter 45, uh, where we will be focusing specifically today on verse 17. So this is a passage of scripture uh, we as a church family are no strangers to today. If you're new with this uh, today, my name's Taylor, and I serve here at Cross's Lead Pastor. And uh, last week, we started a message series in the Psalms called The Songs of Jesus, where for the next several weeks, we are just looking at a selection of uh, the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are the Bible's hymnal. Uh, we see Jesus at every stage, every phase of his ministry, frequently praying the Psalms, quoting the Psalms, and the Psalms have continued to shape the prayers and the songs of every generation of the church. Uh, Brandon spoke to this so well just a few moments ago uh, that if you struggle to pray, then open your Bible, uh, especially the book of Psalms. We have 150 songs and prayers uh, that have been preserved for us through the centuries um, so that when we don't have words to pray, we still have the word of God. So if you as a follower of Jesus will learn to pray the Psalms, you will always have a prayer to pray. You will always have a song to sing. You will always have a lament to cry. You will always have a praise to lift. And so I just want to encourage you uh, in these next several weeks, that you learn to immerse yourself continually as a follower of Jesus in the Psalms. Uh, but before we do that together this morning, I just want to bring you up to speed on something that's happening uh, with a family within our own church family. Some of you are aware of this and some of you are not. Uh, many of you know a younger couple in our church family, uh, Kevin and Ellie Feltner, and their little guy, Crew, uh, who is uh, almost eight months old. Um, just a couple of months ago, uh, Crew was diagnosed with a rare form of infant leukemia. Uh, it's uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is uh, only Im impacts less than 100 uh, children nationwide in the United States every single year. Uh, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing how this diagnosis was discovered, um, but over the last couple of weeks, their family has been up at MUSC and uh, saw an update just as recently as this morning on the Cruise Crew Facebook page. Some of you are following this, uh, that Crew is starting chemotherapy uh, this morning. And um, uh, they're, again, part of our church family. They're part of uh, the Johnston and the Holroyd community group. Many within our church family have been to visit them over the last couple weeks. I'm going to visit them this week. Um, just had a conversation with Kevin as recently as Thursday just to call and to be able to encourage them and to check in and see about everything that's going on. And so if you've been uh, following on the Facebook page, you know that there's a GoFundMe that's available. Uh, I know Ellie's Venmo account has also been posted. But uh, if you don't do Venmo, you would prefer not to do GoFundMe. Uh, we have also opened up a specific channel for our church family. So the vast majority of us do online giving. And so if you go to our online giving portal, you'll see from the drive drop-down menu, an option that says Feltner Family Benevolence, or uh, you can use the giving envelopes we've given you this morning, and if you just want to write the name Crew on that somewhere, uh, that's, and it's spelled exactly the way it sounds, C-R-E-W, um, we'll know exactly what that's for, and we'll make sure that gets uh, to the Feltner family. Now, 
What's amazing through this whole process is, is Kel, Kevin and Ellie, man, their faith is strong. Um, that they are, uh, it, this has been just a, a, a massive shock. It's been overwhelming, but they, they've been just overwhelmed by the outpouring of love and encouragement and financial support. So uh, they are up at MUSC for the next few weeks, home for a couple of weeks, and then uh, that'll be the pattern for about two years is up there for a while, back home for a while. And so we want to do everything that we can as a church family to come around them. And so I just want to challenge you uh, that we would be generous and that we would give and that we would show up and support uh, this family in a very difficult time. But more than that, uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for the Feltner family. And, and uh, this is not the sermon here this morning, but I, I want you just to hear this before we pray. Um, as I pray, I'm going to challenge you to agree with me out loud in prayer. Uh, by saying, amen, yes, Lord, let it be so. Something to that effect. When we say the word amen, it's a statement of agreement. That amen at the end of the prayer is us saying, Lord, let this be so. And so uh, we as a church family, again, this is not the sermon today. But we do not believe in a truncated Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore, and that the same healing that was available in the first century church is still available through the power of the Holy Spirit today. And so we will pray boldly and unapologetically for healing in the name of Jesus Christ. We will pray boldly for wisdom and guidance for the doctors who are directing this process. We will pray for God's provision. And as I pray, I'm going to encourage you to agree. Amen? That was a test. All right, we're ready to go this morning. Listen, uh, maybe as you feel led, maybe lift your hands, lift your voices, but let's lift the Feltner family now together in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, you are God in heaven and we are here on earth, so we will let our words be few. We come to you in Jesus' name, asking boldly in faith on behalf of our brother and our sister and their little boy. We ask boldly in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bring total and complete healing to crew. Lord, we ask that you would move and work in such a way that doctors would be confounded, that, that they would be blown away by what's happening in their midst in such a way that it cannot be explained by anything other than your supernatural intervention for the glory of your name. So Father, we lift him to you now together this morning. We lift Kevin and Ellie to you this morning. Our hearts grieve with them, Lord. Lord, we are reminded in these instances of the devastating consequences of sin. And as we see this unfolding, Lord, our hearts long for the new heaven and the new earth. The day when these things will be no more, when there will be no more tears, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death. But for now, Lord, we come asking according to your will in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, will you bring healing. Father, we pray that you would provide every need that is presented uh, every step of the way. We ask that your people would rise up, that we would be generous, that we would sacrificially give, that we would encourage and get on our knees and pray for our brother and sister and their family. Lord, we ask even this morning as we gather here for worship that you would envelop them in your love. Father, they would be overwhelmed by grace and peace and mercy, the peace that surpasses all understanding through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we ask these requests today in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, according to your will. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So church family, let's rally around the Feltners. Uh, let's give, let's pray, let's encourage, and let's continue to support. Amen.
Amen. Let's do that. All right, so Psalm 45, that, that's where we're going uh, together this morning. Again, if you're not there already in your Bibles, um, I want to thank Alex uh, for uh, opening up this message series for us last week in Psalm 103. Uh, many of you maybe were with us um, a few years ago when we first got started in 2017. Uh, Alex was actually the first person besides me to preach at Cross Community Church. And so uh, it was not planned. It was totally an impromptu thing because what happened uh, on a Sunday morning, just like six, seven weeks after our church, had launched. I woke up around three o'clock that Sunday morning with the most violent stomach bug I'd ever experienced in my life. And uh, I tried to shake it for a couple of hours and, and knew. So I call Alex about five o'clock in the morning and wake him up. I'm like, hey, buddy, like out of the bullpen, it's your turn today. And I was like, I don't care if you get up and share your testimony for five minutes. Uh, someone needs to get up and talk about Jesus or our new church plant is going to fold. No pressure, right? Like, and so uh, five o'clock in the morning before he's got to preach a few hours later, and so Alex came in in the clutch, and he preached a message. And, and what I remember, after I went back and listened to that message, what I remember uh, from that specific message that day was that he shared a quote from Samuel Johnson, where he said, oftentimes what we need more than anything else is to be reminded more than instructed. We need to be reminded more than instructed. And so last week, Alex encouraged us to remember the gospel. Was anybody else just greatly encouraged by Alex's message last week? He encouraged us to remember the gospel. You never look at your hand the same way again. To remember from Psalm 103, to preach the gospel to yourself. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are healed. You are crowned. We are satisfied in the name of Jesus Christ. And so in a similar thread this morning, in the same way that Alex last week called us to remember our message, today I want to call us to remember our mission. And not just to remember our mission, but to remember the goal of our mission to remind us of, of some very basic things. And so uh, if you've worshiped within our church family more than once, uh, you know that at the end of our worship services each week, we quote the words of Psalm 45, 17. For the purposes of our own edification, uh, let's say it together this morning. I will cause your name. You guys with me this morning? Let's go. 945, let's do it. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Now, unless you helped us launch the church, unless you went through membership, I've only preached on this passage one time in our church's history. This was way back in 2018 at the one-year anniversary of our church. And so I want to share with you this morning our heart for Psalm 4517. Why it is we are so passionate about this declaration. We love Psalm 4517 because it not only reminds us of our mission, it reminds us of the goal of our mission. Uh, John Piper, in his uh, popular book, Let the Nations Be Glad, it's a book on Christian missions. He's written, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. Missions begins and ends in worship. So this morning, I want to call us to remember our mission, and not just to remember our mission, but to remember the goal of our mission. Our mission is to see the name of Jesus Christ be remembered in all generations, and the goal of our mission is the nations praising his name forever and ever. So here's what we're going to do this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to read all of Psalm 45, uh, and then I'm going to spend a few minutes really explaining the context of Psalm uh, 45, but then we're going to focus the majority of our time on that declaration 
from uh, verse 17. So give you a little bit of context on Psalm 45. Believe it or not, uh, Psalm 45 is actually a wedding psalm. And it's really one of the only exclusively wedding-type psalms that we see uh, in all of the psalms. If you look at the subheading there under Psalm 45 in your Bible, you probably have something, uh, could have a couple of things there. One might say, to the lilies. And it's most likely that that was the tune to which the song was played. Uh, or you might just see a simple note that this is a love song. And so this is a wedding psalm that's being pinned together by a scribe who's watching the earthly scene of a wedding unfold. And it's that earthly scene of the wedding that reminds him of his heavenly king and the love that he has for his bride, which then provokes him to a posture of worship and of praise. So as we read the psalm, it becomes very, very quickly, uh, quickly clear that uh, this is not just a, about a horizontal relationship on earth between a man and a woman, between a king and his bride. This is about a vertical relationship between Christ and his church. Every passage of scripture whispers the name of Jesus, but man, this one shouts it because it points us forward to the earthly king who fiercely loves his bride, the church. So let's read together from Psalm 45. I'm going to make a couple of comments along the way, and then we're going to focus on verse 17. Psalm 45 says this, My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp. In the heart of the king, its king's enemies, the peoples fall under you. And so this is the scribe describing the earthly king. This is the picture that he's seeing. And this is uh, his uh, praise of this earthly king and his majesty. And then this uh, turns his attention to his heavenly king. And so he writes from verses 6 through 9 of the heavenly king. He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory places, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. And then this turns the attention to the bride, the one who is about to be married to this earthly king. It says, hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. And the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. And then the last couple of verses close with the response again of the psalmist. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. 
So this psalm is about the wedding of a Davidic king. And 2 Samuel chapter 7 had prophesied that the Messiah would descend from the line of King David. Now, we're not sure uh, who uh, the king is that's being married that this uh, event is describing here in Psalm 45. But if it's a Davidic king, it's really kind of an irrelevant detail because either way, it's still a fulfillment of the promise if he's coming from that line. So uh, during a royal wedding, what would happen is a scribe would sit down for really historical purposes and record the events. And so that's what the scribe is doing. He's watching the events of the wedding unfold before his eyes. And as he's watching the wedding unfold, it reminds him of the heavenly king and the love that he has for his bride. That The Lord, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, he speaks of his love with his people in this bridegroom type of language. We see the Lord speaking of his bride Israel in the Old Testament. He sees the Lord speaking of his bride, the church, in the New Testament. And, and this really becomes the inspiration here in Psalm 45 for what is a worship song. And that's what the scribe is, is pinning here in this passage. Now, uh, we also see that this, this psalm is directly quoted in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to go there and reread it because Hebrews 1 gives us a really important key to understanding this psalm. It says in Hebrews 1.8, this is a direct quotation of what we just read in Psalm 45, but of the Son, pay attention here, of the Son, he, if you look at the context of Hebrews 1, this is the Father, of the Son, the Father says, your throne, O God. And so this is the Father speaking to the Son, so this is God the Father affirming the full deity and the full divinity of Jesus Christ. The Father speaking to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is the full deity of Christ being affirmed by God the Father. So verses 6 and 17, pay attention here, this is so close. Verses 6 and 7 and verse 17 of Psalm 45. This is the psalmist joining in with the voice of God. He's recording the words that the Father is speaking about the Son. So that declaration in Psalm 45, 17, this is the Father saying of the Son, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. And this is the scribe joining in with that purpose. And this is why we're so passionate about this one verse of Scripture, because encapsulated in Psalm 45, 17 is the mission and the goal for all of God's people across every generation. The mission is to cause his name to be remembered, and the goal is for the nations to praise him forever and ever. And that's why we join in with that song. That's why we join in with a statement of intent, with a declaration of who it is we are called to be and what it is we are desiring to do as followers of Christ. So this morning for a few minutes, again, I just want to remind us of our mission. We need to be reminded more than instructed. Church, here, here's where many of us, I fear, fall into. We allow our faith to devolve into this place where it becomes a, a merely academic and intellectual exercise where we're constantly just in pursuit of new information. But here's the reality, church. Most of us are educated way beyond our obedience level. And a lot of times what we need is not to come to church learning something new so that we can walk away feeling smarter, but that we learn things that we, maybe we've heard a hundred or a thousand times before and become more obedient with the truth that we already know. And so this morning, I just want to simply remind us of our mission, and I want to remind us of the goal of our mission. Our mission is to cause his name to be remembered in all generations, and our goal is the praise of his name among all nations. So let's look first. Our mission. 
Our mission is to declare his name in all generations. The psalmist watched this, this scene unfold. It provokes worship within him, and that worship drives him into mission because mission is both the fuel, or worship is both the fuel of missions and it's the goal of missions. It's his love for the king and understanding the king's love for him that drives him to want to cause his name to be remembered. Worship is the fuel of that mission and worship is the goal of that mission. So we do this in all generations. This word generation that's used here, it just means age or a specific period of time. This is what we see at the end of the Great Commission that we'll read here in just a few minutes from Matthew 28 where Jesus promises, I will be with you always to the end of the what? Of the age to the end of, of this generation. This is uh, reflected all throughout God's word. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Psalm 119, verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And then Psalm 71, church, I hope you will make this a banner verse for your life. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to my old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until when? Until I proclaim your might to another generation. Your power to all those who come. Every single follower of Jesus Christ has been given the responsibility to proclaim the name of Christ within their generation. And we are so passionate about this verse, and we recite it together every single week because, church, it's becoming clearer and clearer that this generation of the church has been forsaking this responsibility. And we have to recover this. Now, I want to talk for, for just a second uh, about, uh, about my generation. I'm among uh, what is uh, known infamously as the millennial generation. That's those of us who were born roughly early 1980s into kind of mid to late 1990s, depending on the, the demographic study you look at. I'm just curious, how many of us in this room does that include? Kind of early 80s to mid to late 90s. Okay, about half of us in the room uh, were considered part of the millennial generation. And I want to talk a little bit about how my generation was discipled and the effect of that discipleship on the next generation, which is generation. Generation Z. So uh, my generation, uh, by and large, we were the first generation of, ch of the church in our nation uh, where pretty much anything was allowed to start interfering with our involvement with the church. So, so we were really the first generation that was raised to believe, hey, you got vacation going on, recreation going on, family stuff going on, friend stuff going on, just want a weekend away, just want to wake up and do something different. You don't really need the church. It was, it was this very individualistic approach to faith. You need a, it's, it's a personal relationship with Jesus of asking Jesus into your heart. And, and it was just sort of just you and Jesus with church optional type of language. And so we, we grew up sort of with this mentality like, hey, we, we really don't need the church a whole lot. And it's easy to substitute other things for our involvement with the church. And then uh, what happened, the fruit of this, and this, this went on for a couple of decades, uh, during the 80s and the 90s, you saw the rise of what's become known as the attractional church. And so uh, seeing this generational drift away from the church, there were models of church that rose up and said, hey, let's try to entertain people back in the door. That there's good entertainment in the world, let's have good entertainment within the church, and let's bring people in. And if you study the movement of the attractional church for the last couple of decades, what you learn is that it works for a minute. But uh, as, as we all know, uh, what you win people with is what you win people to. 
And so if you choose to win a group of people with entertainment, then don't be shocked when they leave for better entertainment. We've been doing this for a couple of decades, but I think we need to learn by now, like the church can't out Disney Disney, right? Like we, we've been trying to do it and, and it's not working. And so either it's drift away for better entertainment or even worse, just leave and go to another more entertaining church. And it just creates this ongoing cycle of moving from place to place, just seeking to be entertained uh, and, and just to satisfy that desire within ourselves. And so, so those foundations were laid. Then uh, my generation is also the generation that witnessed 9-11. Who remembers where you were on September 11th? Hard to believe that it was almost 20 years ago now. Freshman in high school watching the events unfold on the screen. And many within my generation during that time period, they were desperately trying to make sense of the world. Desperately trying to make sense of what we had seen unfold in those TV screens in our classrooms. So people came to the church in droves. And you know what they found in many cases? Not a message about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but patriotic worship services that exalted America over Jesus. And listen, I'm just going to go and lay it out this morning. Like, spare me the email this week. Don't read into what I just said. I love our country. I served in the military. But I think we can all agree America cannot save your soul, correct? It's only Jesus that can do that. And instead of giving people what they needed most, which was the message of the gospel, we were implicitly taught that you could put your hope in the nation. And this led to a great deal of disillusionment. I mean, th those who saw, well, listen, what, what do I really need the church for? Like, if, if there's nothing that I'm going to find in the church that I can't already find in the world, why do I need this? And this perfectly laid the foundation in the early 2000s for guys like Rob Bell and what became known as the emergent church movement. And they got us questioning orthodoxy. They saw faith as the big wall of bricks. And they said, so what happened? What, what's the big deal if we take out some bricks? What's the big deal if your Bible's got errors? What's the big deal if Mary wasn't a virgin? What's the big deal if Jesus sinned? What's the big deal if Jesus didn't physically rise from the grave? What's the big deal if there is no hell? And they got us questioning, questioning, questioning. So just to recap all of that, our generation was discipled to believe the church does not have to be a priority. If you do go, it's primarily about your entertainment. Oftentimes, a uh, gospel message was substituted for a nationalistic message. And then we got questioning orthodoxy. And guess what, church? That generation now has kids who are becoming adults. And what is the fruit of those two decades of discipleship? I want to read this to you together this morning. This is from uh, Barna Research on Generation Z from back in about 2018. So num some of these numbers are actually a little bit higher now if you want to go research that and look more in depth. So Generation Z, this is those born uh, roughly 1999 through the year 2015, coming into their own in adulthood now. This is considered the first post-Christian generation in our nation's history. 13% uh, identify as atheists. That's more than double of the average U.S. population. 4%, everybody say 4%. You might want to write this down. 4% of Generation Z has what could be identified as a biblical worldview. 4%. Generation Z is more likely to say that not recycling is worse than indulging in pornography. This is the fruit of, of a lack of discipleship. We see a generation today, Generation Z, they're anxious. They're depressed, they're suicidal, terribly confused on gender identity and sexuality. And to make matters worse, it's, it's seven hours a day on phones, which doesn't have to be a bad thing if you're going to good content, but what's happening in a lot of cases is Gen Z is being discipled in one-minute videos on Instagram and TikTok that are teaching them, no, you don't need the church. Oftentimes, very influential ex-Christians are saying, no, you, you do what sounds right, you do what feels right, you believe what sounds right, you, you do what looks right, and you, just, you define truth for yourself. You get to be your own standard of, of truth. 
And so when there's already a lack of commitment to the word of God, a lack of commitment to the church, a lack of discipleship within the home, and then you're getting that sometimes 60, 70 hours a week. Church, we've got to wake up and realize if we don't disciple our children, the world will. Like you can ignore hard conversations, parents, all that you want. They're going to go find the answers somewhere. And very often, it's not going to be what we want them to find. It's becoming clear we have stopped causing his name to be remembered. Among this generation, we've forsaken this generational responsibility. We've laid down that responsibility. And if we do not pick up that mantle, listen, some of us need to wake up and become tuned into this. Some of us have got to stop playing church on Sunday morning and thinking it's going to be good for them to hear one hour of gospel a month. It is not When the enemy and the world are preaching at them hundreds of hours a week, completely alternative messages. Church, we have to pick this mantle back up. It's our generational responsibility for this generation, and not just in the younger age groups, but of all age groups, of all who are living today, it's our responsibility to perpetuate the memory of Jesus Christ, to cause his name to be remembered. That is our mission. We can roll our eyes and yawn all we want when we recite the verse at the end of our services. Until we actually start doing it, we need to keep reciting it. Amen? We've got to pick up this mantle and we've got to get serious about it and we need to do it quickly. That's our mission and then we're reminded of the goal of our mission. Our mission is to cause his name to be remembered in all generations and the goal of our mission is the worship of his name among all nations. If all generations means all people of all ages, then it also means all people in all places. And we see from start to finish in Scripture God's heart and his desire for the nations. It starts as early as Genesis chapter 1, and it's, it goes all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, Genesis 1, 27 through 28. This is the cultural mandate. This is before sin entered the world. This was God's desire. He said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. From the earliest place of scripture, from the earliest moments of creation, it was God's desire that his name be remembered, that his memory be perpetuated, that his image be multiplied to the ends of the earth. This was God's intention and desire and design for the nation of Israel. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6, I will make you as a light for the nations. That was their responsibility. It was to be a holy people among an unholy people, an embassy of heaven here on earth from which the nations in their darkness could come and find the light of the Lord. This is the great commission given to the church in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we do this until the end of the age, within this generation, until the second coming of the return of Christ. And all of this points to the moment in Revelation 7 where the nations are gathered together, verses 9 and 10. John records, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, all of history is running to this moment in eternity when men, women, and children from every tribe, tongue, and nation will day and night for all of eternity be gathered around the throne of Jesus to sing his praise. This is where all of it's going. Worship, the overflow of love that we have for God and that God has for us, that drives us into mission, and that mission is driving us into more worship. 
Remember, uh, it was three years ago now, I was at a, it's a national conference that happens every couple years called Together for the Gospel. And uh, we were gathered at the KFC Center there in Louisville, Kentucky, there in downtown. Uh, 12,000 people. 12,000 people. And I remember there was a, a distinct moment when we were gathered together there singing. I mean, it was unbelievable because what they do for worship at this conference is just a piano and 12,000 voices. It's incredible. And, and I, I spent more time over those few days just looking around the room, honestly, than I did singing because what I was witnessing in that moment was a glimpse of eternity. It was this multitude of people, of men and women and children from every tribe and tongue and nation, lifting together the praises of the Lord. We were singing together, remember once, we're gonna sing it at the end of our service today, all glory be to Christ. And just to hear the roar of those voices. I just thought the roof of that building was just gonna just come crashing down with the roar of everyone that was singing. And it was just one of those moments you're standing there. I'm just like, man, I just don't wanna leave this place. I could stay in this moment to quote the great, the, the great theologian, Aerosmith and Steven Tyler. Stay lost in the moment forever. Just thought I could stay there and just, just listen to it all. You know why you feel that way in those moments? It's because in that moment, you are tasting for just a second eternity to come. You're seeing that day. You're seeing the moment that we will all be gathered together around the throne. And so we keep our eyes on that moment. We keep our hearts fixed on that moment. We keep that vision of eternity constantly on the horizon. And that becomes the fuel that's driving us deeper into mission. The psalmist sees this beautiful earthly picture unfold. It reminds him of the Lord's love for his bride and it provokes him to worship. And worship drives him to mission and that mission is driving to more worship. Because worship is both the fuel and worship is the goal. So so what do we do with this this morning? How how can we pick up this mantle? How do we keep the mission and how do we keep uh, the goal of all of this in mind? First challenge I wanna give you this morning is to accept your generational responsibility. Accept your generational responsibility. Church, listen to me. Stop taking notes and just look at me for just a second. Everybody's busy. Everybody. That's not unique to you. That's not unique to me. That's not unique to my family. Every single person is busy. Saying I'm busy is kind of like saying I'm a human being. We're all busy, and at some point in time, we've got to draw the line in the sand. We've got to set boundaries within our homes. We've got to set boundaries within our schedule, and we have to make priority the discipleship of our children. I want to ask you to consider this this morning, and it's heavy, but I want us to consider it. Have we considered two generations walking away from the church to be God's judgment on a people who did not fulfill their generational responsibility? who instead of drawing lines in the sand and saying, this is what we're protecting in our home, this is what we're protecting in the church, this is what we're protecting as a church body. Instead of doing these things, we simply caved to the culture and went the direction of the culture. And we quickly have to make adjustments. We rapidly, like today, maybe need to go home and and start making some serious adjustments to the time that we'll devote in God's word, to the time that we'll devote to the mission of the church, to what we're allowing our families to commit to, so that we can have serious time and margin and space to to sit down with one another and to to consider the word of God together, to ground within our children biblical foundations, biblical worldview, sound doctrine, sound theology, so that they are prepared to face the inevitable lies that they will face from the enemy. Like right now, we're sending off a whole generation of kids. I mean, we're just throwing them to the wolves, seriously ill-equipped. 
And at some point in time, we've got to draw the line and say, and say we're going to get serious about this. We're going to get serious about the Word of God. We're going to get serious about discipling our children. We're going to get serious about the next generation. And we're going to pour everything that we can into making sure the name of Jesus Christ is remembered in every generation so that his name will not be forgotten among my family, among our church, among followers of Christ. We have to fulfill our generational responsibility. Second, I just challenge you, live a life fueled by worship. Live a life fueled by worship. And listen, this takes on so many different forms. Listen, I I just want to challenge us in in a very blanket way this morning, church. Let's be a people who are getting serious about the Lord. Let's get serious about our commitment to the Word of God. Let's get serious about our commitment to prayer. Let's get serious about seeking the Lord through praying and through fasting. Let's get serious about getting on our knees and pleading to God for those who have not yet heard the name of Jesus Christ for those who have not yet believed in the name of Jesus Christ. The psalmist, again, he looks at God's love for him. He sees God's love for him. He remembers God's love for him. And he says, so I will cause your name to be remembered because you've remembered me, because you've not forgotten me. This provokes him to worship. It's all driven by worship. Because here's the deal this morning, church. If you're not worshiping in the right place, you're not going to live your life on mission. For, for us, engaging in the mission of God, that there's actually a, an earlier foundational step that needs to be taken, which is we need to reorient our hearts and minds towards worship. We've got to recover the priority of worship in our lives, recover the priority of God's word, recover the priority of holiness and righteousness and justice in God's world, and be driven by worship as we drive to worship, which we do third by just keeping our eyes fixed on eternity. Worship drives us into mission, and worship is driving us into further worship as the result of mission. We keep our eyes fixed on the day when we will all be gathered around the throne, and that is the vision that we want to see. I mean, isn't that what you want to see right here on earth? Is is generational walls be broken down? Is cultural walls be broken down? Is ethnic walls to be broken down? You know how it all happens? The name of Jesus Christ. It breaks down every barrier. It breaks down every wall. It breaks every chain. Alex mentioned this passage last week from Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the promise of the new covenant for those of us in Christ. The prophet had prophesied centuries before, and this is reaffirmed in the book of Hebrews. Your sins and your lawless deeds, the Lord says, I will remember no more. So why do we cause his name to be remembered? Because he's caused our sin to be forgotten. We join him with the psalmist and say, how can we not declare that name? How can we not make that name known? The one who has caused my sin to be forgotten, I will cause his name to be remembered. The one who took my sin, the one who took my guilt, the one who took my shame, the one who took my humiliation, the one who took my punishment, the one who took my consequences for sin, he has taken that upon himself and he has taken my sin and put it as far away, the psalmist said we saw last week, as east is from west. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the measure of his love, if such a measure can be made. Cause his name to be remembered because he's caused our sins to be forgotten. That worship drive you into mission, keep your eyes fixed on eternity as that mission drives us further into worship. Will you bow your heads with me this morning as we close our time together? At the table, we come to remember the one who has forgotten our sin. We come to the table because it's the clearest visible representation of what Christ has done for us. It's the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. 
so that we by faith can call on his name and be saved, be set free from the power of sin in our lives, be set free from the consequences and the penalty of sin, which is death, to be empowered and filled by his Holy Spirit who drives us into mission as we set our eyes on eternity to come. So I want to invite you to take just a moment this morning to enter into a moment of confession. What, what sins do we carry today? What words, what thoughts, what deeds, what, what impulses, what desires? Just drag it all out of the darkness and into the light and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ. We do this because 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let's ask the Lord for a heart of worship that seeks to turn from our sin, to follow Jesus Christ, to leave behind our sin, to agree with God that our sin is evil and wicked in his sight and to agree that we can be only made righteous through faith in the name of his son, Jesus. So fathers, we prepare our hearts this morning. We just thank you. Oh God, we thank you that you have forgotten the sins of those who call on you in faith. So we will cause your name to be remembered in this generation and all generations. Because we want to see the nations praise you forever and ever. So to that end, Lord, this morning, we set our eyes and we ask, let it be so. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen.